Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast where women get really honest about surviving and thriving in what often feels like a man's world. My guests are wonder women from the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics or STEM, where inclusivity and diversity can be a real problem. I know this only too well as a female Southeast Asian mechanical engineer. I was kind of a minority within a minority back then. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, an engineer turned broadcaster. Throughout my career, I've worked on and reported on some cutting-edge technology and innovation. And through my TV work, I've met some incredibly inspiring women from a diverse range of STEM fields. Talking to these exceptional ladies has often left me feeling empowered and hopeful and excited about life. I believe silence will enrich you too. Every week, a woman in STEM shares her unique experiences with absolutely no pressure in having to promote her accomplishments or guard her impressive reputation, because I've come to realize that everyone's just way more open and relaxed when they're anonymous. So I deliberately disguise my guest voices so that we're just connecting as human beings rather than human doings. It's my hope that you really relate to what we chat about today. And if so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even rate and review the show. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of marine science. Hi. Hiya, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. How's the whole uh, stay-at-home uh, thing working out for you? Uh, it's, it's different, for sure. I think if someone said that this was going to happen a year ago, I'd have been like, oh, of course it's not. That's like a film. Uh, yeah. And here we are on the second week of lockdown now, so trying to um, alter my my work from being quite hardcore in the lab at the moment to now being, yeah. you know, understandably stuck at home. So trying to get yeah. through lots of work that I've been trying to get done for ages, which is good. So when I hear of marine science, I picture a scientist out at sea all by herself. Um, surely you're not going to get COVID out there. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope. Um I've known quite a few people on expeditions that were actually at sea as the whole COVID-19 started to develop. And because they didn't have very good comms, they weren't getting the real, you know, drama that was unravelling in that a lot of ports were being shut and mm. flights were being cancelled. Um, so it really hit home for them as soon as they got back to land how much of an issue it actually is. Mm. And how much of your work do you actually spend out at sea? During my PhD, I was very lab-based. Um, it's actually, as I've done more postdoc roles, I've been more in the field. Um, but I, I really enjoy having a mixture of the two. Yeah. So it must be impacting you quite a lot that you're at home, I guess. I'm really lucky that I actually live just a couple of streets down from the ocean. So when I'm doing my one hour exercise every day, I, I get to see the sea. So it's not like it's too far away. So how did it all begin for you? Because someone that goes into marine science like must have known early on that that's what you wanted to do. Uh, so I've always been living close to the ocean. Uh, so it's always had a big place in my heart. Uh, it took me a while growing up and going to school and going to university to understand what exactly I wanted to do. I think there's such a pressure on people at school that you have to know what your dream career is going to be. Totally. When you're yeah. GCSEs or your A-levels. And for me, I just had no idea. And I thought there was such a big pressure to understand at that point. Um, and I felt, I guess you could say, a bit lost. 
like what do I actually want to do and why do I know and it took a lot of soul searching and my mum continuously saying to me do what you're passionate in do it what you're passionate in so I I think at school I was almost doing what I thought my teachers thought I should do yeah um you know you're always told that you well at my school you're told that you should go to university and uh if you're going to do science then maybe you should think about going into medicine um and even though that was really interesting that's not something I really wanted to do as a career and it Mm. it was my supervisor at university that made me draw this big mind map and he said right what are you passionate in uh and then let's try and work from there and it always linked back into the ocean and uh environmental matters so it's kind of like I did a, a full circle and it took me quite a while to figure that out really yeah because I mean were you one of these kids that was like always just drawn to the sea like was it would it have been obvious if we were watching like a three-year-old you that you would end up doing what you're doing oh I would love to see that actually maybe I think I was always passionate about environmental matters I was always wanting to be outside um you know I love it when you can just go outside and it's sunny and you don't have to be cooped up which is the quite interesting times at the moment <laughs> yeah um, my mum and my dad say it's blatantly obvious now and uh, they never want to sway what decision I do uh, but they could see how I've come into the career of work that I do right now so I'd mm. like to say yes so you know with someone that grew up by the sea and clearly had an interest like why did you decide to go in a science direction? I mean, you could have become a painter that have painted the sea every day. So one thing that I knew at school was I loved research. Uh, I really enjoyed answering an unanswered question that potentially no one has ever answered before. And it's very much like detective work. So that is what really drew me to science. And the fact that, well, in any career you can make a change. But in science, I could really see how I could put my footprint in there. Um, and it was in the first year of my PhD that we had some uh, quite significant research that uh, made some legislation changes uh, to a certain uh, type of science that I'm in. And that really showed me that even from a small research piece, you can have such an impact in the world for the better and create so much discussion and realise that you're a part of that puzzle piece to making that change. And that's exactly why I wanted to go into science. Wow, yeah. Gosh, it's so true. Um, how good were you at science subjects? Because I think anyone that thinks about going into STEM feels like they've got to be amazing at maths and physics and, you know. Um, what? How did you feel about having to study the sciences? <laughs> I th yeah, I think I was literally speaking to someone about this the other day. And I think that there's a stigma that the people in school, if you go into science and you go in a career of research, are very much brain boxes and Einstein, which so many people are. And, you know, they do some incredible research. But even if you haven't done too well at school um, and, you know, like me, you weren't exactly sure which direction you were going to go in. And you don't have to be a brain box in every subject. You can still do really well. Um, I was, and still am, oh, I don't get on with maths too well. My brain is just not wired to be a mathematician. Uh, getting a B at GCSE for me was, you know, a huge uh, achievement. 
uh, which I'm still proud of at that day. It, it takes me ages to just understand something. And I, I remember being in class and people would just have a concept and it would just click in their brain. But for me, it just it seems to just take a little while longer. Or I really have to sit down and think about it. Uh, but when is that the same with biology? Because biology for me is just like, you know, almost double Dutch in a way. Yeah, so for biology, I'd have to put in half the effort that I would have maths. It, that's the stuff that seemed to click, uh, mm. especially learning about the, the different research in biology and, you know, setting up uh, experiments. Uh, but I guess that's what makes us all unique, that we yeah. thrive and we're, we're better at some things, but there are subjects that we all find slightly more difficult. And for me, that was maths and physics. And why I ever decided to do an A-level in physics, I have no idea. I ended up getting an E. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I did, um, I was more on the maths and physics side and I just found biology and chemistry so difficult because it really required a lot of memory. And, you know, there were long terms and, you know, just I couldn't wrap my head around it. Whereas math and physics just seem really like neat and logical. Yeah, and I think it shows how our brains are wired for yeah. biology and chemistry. I, in my head, I could literally see how it's applicated into, world, you know, real day scenarios. But mm. in maths, and I know it is, but for my brain, I just struggled to see the patterns I struggled to look at some algebra and think okay how the heck does that then equal this um yeah it is sometimes in my line of work now uh, I have to get things double checked and I've learned that actually it's not it's not a negative it might mean that I need to spend a few more days or a week just going over some stats or some maths that I've done and I get friends or uh, colleagues to check over the maths so I'm completely confident in it and originally I was probably I guess embarrassed is a, a word that I'd use loosely but I felt like doing a PhD and being a postdoc I should be good at this and it's not that I'm terrible it's just that I need to have things double checked for my own uh, self-reassurance and it, it makes the work better because you have more eyes on it so in, in a way it's a strength. Yeah I mean sorry if this sounds kind of weird but like it's almost comforting and reassuring um to hear you admit that you're not great at maths because I mean at the end of the day you're a PhD you know doctor and so you know it just you don't necessarily have to be good at everything to get those kinds of qualifications and it sounds like you really stuck to what you really love um in order to be doing the career you're doing yeah and I, I'm really passionate about it I love the career I'm doing uh <laughs> some crazy times where you think you're definitely you know um biting the bullet doing some crazy hours I remember being at work sometimes until like three o'clock in the morning which now seems you know ridiculous but you you love the research and you want to be part of that research and get those papers out and see that change but the more I speak to people in academia, in research, or just any walk of life, there's always something that they're not too com confident in, whether that's maths or writing or statistics or public speaking. So the best thing is talking about it and building each other up to make them and yourself more confident. Mm, yeah. And what is it like um, 
what is your day job like? Are you do you lead a very lonesome existence, or is there a lot of collaboration? Uh, I guess it's changed. During my PhD, it's um, like you work on your own subjects. You're you're there to get your qualification, get papers out, uh, see the the research that you're doing. So I spend a lot of time in the lab uh, alone. Um, but now in postdoc life, it's really exciting because you're in more projects. Um, you're collaborating with different institutions, different people with different skills and merging them together uh, to get the best out of something. I'm working with some scientists at the moment, which are in a completely different research field to me. And we're working on some really exciting research, which haven't, hasn't been done before. And we just saw a link. Uh, and we're writing some research at the moment actually and it's just really exciting to see how that came together because it's something that I wouldn't have considered before right because it's such a cross-pollination of subjects yeah it's a really good way of putting it when you see both of our research topics you wouldn't it's like how did you put those together yeah but then once we actually thought about it and we saw some of the results coming through we're like oh my goodness this is obvious how did we not think of this before Mm. Gosh, I love it when things like that happen where, you know, just two very different ways of thinking end up merging and like giving birth to something like brand new. Yeah. And that hopefully will lead to a lot, lots more discussion and opportunities in the future. Mm. So like, I'm trying to figure out what your lifestyle's like, you know, like, when when people think of scientists and researchers, they often think of, you know, a total geek, um, stuck in a lab, uh, no friends, a uh, bit of a sad life. Like, is that you? <laughs> How would I describe myself? Well, uh, my friends would probably describe me as a chatterbox. Uh, I'm notoriously bad in the office for going out to people and distracting them from their work probably to distract myself from work uh you know always on a coffee break um probably a bit impulsive uh loving to just jump into the moment of random things um I love being surrounded by people and friends um that's why at the moment it's it's quite difficult not being able to see anyone and being very separated uh I like to definitely be an outsidey person I'm part of uh, the military reserves. So that's kind of given me a completely different aspect into two careers. So in one career, I'm a scientist, but on another career, I'm part of the military reserves. And it's nice to see how they can accumulate together for skill sets, but then also be completely different. And that really gives me uh, two different walks of life. Mm. And in terms of the people you work with like is there an obvious gender divide uh I'm actually incredibly lucky that in the place of work where I am at the moment uh, it's incredibly balanced and we have a really good support system um we have some very inspirational female lecturers that are both um uh, have children and they work very busy lifestyles and they make their career work but their their lives also come first so it's definitely got a good system that we can look up to and see that it does work uh, mm. 
Has that always been the case in your area of expertise? I'm just trying to think. Because like in engineering, it has always been very male dominated. And, you know, for women to be making progress in industries like engineering is like so rare and so amazing. Um, But I wonder if it's the same kind of situation in marine science. Yeah. When I think about it, a lot of the PhD students are female, where it's a very nice mix, it's very diverse, but then we're surrounded by mostly male professors uh, in our office. So it seems that after PhD and after a few postdocs, when we were talking about this in a coffee break a few weeks ago, when you have a family, it becomes so hard to stay in research. Mm. The contracts are often so small, like a year or two years, so you're having to apply for the next thing. Um, and it's often very competitive. We've noticed that there's less female senior researchers in our institution. But the ones that we do have are just very inspiring, and so it does work. It can be difficult. It can be difficult for everyone. Mm. Uh, but it sometimes seems that you have to make some sacrifices. Yeah, gosh, it sounds so similar to other industries um, because it sounds like it's always difficult to have it all in the sense like women often want to uh, become mothers but also want to have careers because they're passionate about something. Um, So first of all, I mean, I've got so many questions in that area for you. Like, first of all, is this something that you've considered for your own life? And do you think that this is an issue in your area of research? In terms of having a, a family in the future? Yeah, in terms of trying to have it all. Yeah. Uh, I have definitely considered in the future what I'll do. I, I would love to have a, a family um, and just seeing how I can try and balance that with research and getting to the age now where a lot of friends in science are having uh, children or thinking about next steps or even deciding where they're going to settle if their partner is uh, in another career in another place Mm. so I think it boils down to having a few frank discussions where you just speak openly and I think everyone has the right to succeed and be supported Um, it doesn't you need to make sure that the support system is there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like your mum's pretty awesome if she was conveying that message of, like, do what you love. Yeah, my mum was actually a scientist herself in her head. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, And she was going to carry on her career. Unfortunately, my brother um, became disabled when he was quite young, so that's something that she felt quite passionately about. She was more passionate about making sure that my brother and us had um, a strong support network growing up, especially with the difficulties that we faced. So she gave up her career, Uh, but always behind me saying, you make your career. This is your life. Don't tell anyone. Um, Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You Mm. put your own way and people will support that. Wow. What was her area of science? Microbiologist. Gosh. Huh. Do you think that's really influenced you having a mother who's in STEM? Um, someone asked me this before as well, and I would say yes. Before I probably didn't realise, but yeah. when I was younger, maybe about five, my mum brought me this toy microscope from 
the early learning center and I was just addicted to it <laughs> go to the park and I'd get different leaves and bugs and you know it was probably like the magnification of just one or something but it, um, it really just got me interested in how things work and mm. really growing up the question the thing I always said was why I was just like why does this work what's happening here why 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 um and maybe that's what's led to me being a scientist because it's a lot of asking why what made you become so concerned about environmental issues so I work in a certain area of environmental issues which has um, been in the media quite a lot recently and when I was younger I never saw any of the impacts of it but now being older towards 30 I, I, I see it all the time it's, it's so blaringly obvious and rather than just see it happen I just needed to be part of that solution making I needed to be part of that change um, and it just feels like I'm kind of it's my way of battling the issue that I'm being able to be on the forefront working with people in the community about how we can try and make this certain problem better. Mm. Gosh, I mean, that just sounds like such an amazing ambition. Um, but how does that tie into other areas of being you? You know, like, how do you balance sort of wanting to fulfill your ambitions professionally with balancing all the other like personal side and stuff? I I think is when you look kind of like in a bird's eye view, you can see which direction you want to go. Um, and it's always just taking a pause and making sure that you're doing things for the right reasons. And everyone wants personal growth. Everyone wants to build themselves up in their career. Um, but often take a rain check and just say, okay, am I doing this for the right reasons? Am I keeping to my truth of doing this for wanting to better the planet? what am I going to get out of this if I take this opportunity? Um, if I go and do X, Y, Z, is that going to impact me? Or is that going to impact my research? As I say, constant rain checks. And um, with my partner, um, we have lots of discussions and he's kind of a very good mediator for helping to dissect what's going on in my brain. I just kind of speak freely and say, okay, what do you take from what I've just said? and he's really good so I, I've learned that speaking openly and being honest has really helped me yeah I definitely was struck by your honesty right off the bat when you were like yeah maths isn't my strong point um because it sounds so empowering to hear someone own their shortcomings yeah um I used to hate public speaking as well um so it's taken me quite a long time to uh, you know get through those hurdles um, math mm. took me a long time to just appreciate I don't have to do it by myself I can ask for help and it was almost mm. asking for help was the hardest bit because that was me admitting that I wasn't particularly strong at it when you feel like you have to be but you're right. completely right you almost feel empowered by your shortcomings because you realize that they're the parts that you need help with um, but then it, it builds you up for the future so I don't regret being bad at maths. If anything, it makes my research stronger because I have other people looking at it, like I said before. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I must say, I, I've also come to those realisations recently where I'm just like, why am I constantly trying to prove that I'm good at everything? 
it's okay to not be good at everything. And the minute I sort of like allowed myself to not be good at everything, I relaxed. It was kind of like huge weights were lifted off my shoulders. Yeah. uh, And we're surrounded by so many incredibly bright uh, people that have achieved so much, um, you know, constant success. And you feel that pressure that you need to, you know, keep running and keep that success up yourself. But just taking a moment to sit down and be like, oh, it's okay. Actually, I can slow down here. And I'm not as good as at that as that certain person. And that's okay. You have your own strengths. Um, it definitely helped me slow down and realize that it's not a race. It's only a race if you make it a race. Mm. I mean, are there any other sort of um, major life lessons you've learned? Because that's a massive one of like, slow down, um, allow yourself to just be um, who you are with your own skills and talents. Like, looking back on your career, are there other things that you would do differently in order to excel? Yeah, I guess. Um, More understanding of self-care and realizing that sometimes working till stupid o'clock in the morning isn't going to make you more effective if anything you'll write some terrible work that you'll spend then hours trying to rectify yeah learning when to stop and learning that's okay and stopping isn't a failure you're allowed to take time for yourself and also if you hear something that you don't particularly agree with or I've worked a lot with industry um, during my PhD and I've had a really fantastic experience of that. But there's been a few moments where we've had a few difficult conversations or they've said a few comments which I haven't particularly, uh, you know, taken favourably. And rather than just not snapping or it's almost giving them what they want if you snap or you say a comment back, it's taking a breather, um, as my nana would say, have a sleep on it. And then reassessing it in the morning. And uh, that's really helped me before as well. Yeah, that's so that's such an amazing point that you make, because I find um, that as a woman, um, especially in very male dominated worlds, um, being knowledgeable uh, didn't always get me places because there was almost like a repulsion to women knowing a lot. Have you come across anything like that? I've been really lucky that I've been surrounded by some uh, really supportive and just incredible male researchers and colleagues and engineers, uh, technicians. So I've I've never had anything directly. um, But on the backhand, I've had a few comments, particularly from industry, um when writing papers takes a lot of time and you put your life and soul into it you know your blood blood sweat and tears and we had a certain industry partner that was quite uh, annoyed by some of our results because it showed something that they didn't want to be shown or uh, publishing mm. a paper was longer than they were going to be expecting so there was a few comments i saw from certain people on twitter and it did make me think, I wonder if I was a man, whether those comments would still be made. Um, mm. And it, it, I guess it feels a bit like bullying. It's rather than getting angry at the process of paper writing or how slow it is, it almost feels like they're being very personal to you. 
and you, you take that to heart and um I've had to learn how to not take that personally and just brush it off and just carry on really is it as simple as that as a solution to just brush it off yeah it sounds simple but it's not you know you you do go through certain comments in your head and they kind of whirl around and you think why have they said that like what what could I have done before that wouldn't make them say that and is that really what they think and it's never been anything terrible but it's been enough that I thought about it and I sat there and yeah it's it's really like kind of a heavy weight on your heart for a moment Mm, which is totally okay like I think the processing of that is also okay Um, because I think I've also gone through times like that where I've just been very distracted for an evening or a day where I'm just like why did that happen why was that said why did I just have that exchange and then I've spent time sort of beating myself up going why am I worrying about what other people think I should be a person that doesn't care about other people's opinions and then you know it just becomes this like over analysis when actually I should just go okay Shinny know who you are what you believe in and have confidence and faith in what you're coming up with you know it's it's a self-acceptance thing I can relate to that so much uh and we'd be lying if we said that life was perfect all the time with mm-hmm. all of us being a hundred percent happy at every moment yeah um, and for the majority I hope that we we are all happy but there'll definitely be moments where you need to just process something and you need to just think about it um, and just let it linger in your head so you can figure out why it was said or why there was a certain action because um, it's kind of part of the healing process. Yeah, and like we live in a world where, you know, with social media, we're always presenting our best angles. Um, and actually, I find it really endearing when people just go no you know kind of struggling a little bit with something or just can't work something out and and you're like yeah me too you know yeah I've noticed that people are speaking way more about it recently I don't know if it's because I'm just more aware of it but 10 years ago I feel like speaking about mental health and how you were actually feeling was quite a taboo subject Mm. Uh, but now in the office if one of us is struggling or a friend um you know we'll we'll go and have a coffee catch up or speak over the phone we can just be honest and we can talk about how we're actually feeling um and then it's kind of like a I guess what you could say a therapy session with your friends because you're laying your cards on the table you're saying what's wrong you're having someone listen to you and even if they have no advice just saying it out loud really helps so speaking about mental health is is a really powerful tool Yeah. And I feel like we are moving to a time where uh, we can just be honest about like our internal struggles, because I think we all have them. Yeah. Um, Whereas we used to be in a time where like everything had to be shiny on the surface and we just didn't go deeper than that. And um, I feel like this whole uh, COVID-19 time that we're in is really bringing out that side of society where you know the gloss is starting to be uh removed yeah there's there's nothing glossy about covid19 it's 
the whole world is on pause. Like we're not, we've been told not to go out. And the scary thing is, is that a lot of people will be affected by it. But the people that are the most vulnerable, such as the elderly and the disabled, and mm. a lot of us won't have, you know, symptoms or even mild symptoms, but you don't want to spread it to the people that are the most vulnerable. But I think from it, the community get together and the structure of help and it's a testament that that volunteer service that went out for the NHS they had I want to say double the amount of applicants than they expected Mm. Uh, and people really come together at a time of need and it's something that unfortunately we're all sharing in common at the moment but we're we're using that as a, a positive I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, definitely one of the positives that are coming that's come out of this whole experience is um, I think we've all had to ask ourselves where our priorities lie. Um, And it's almost like a bit of a sort of like spiritual reset um, in a way uh, where, you you, you know, even just deciding who you want to have a Zoom meet up with, you know, it's like, do I really want to waste my time with people that are like, you know, that I didn't really care about that much? And, you know, then you start to remember like who is important in your life and what are the things that are meaningful to do in your life. And it's just been incredible from that point of view. Yeah, we had a, a team meeting recently. Um, a few members of our team were just honest and saying, okay, I haven't achieved what I thought I was going to achieve this week uh, I've really struggled with the the outbreak and just trying to process it myself and I've prioritized my family and making sure that they're safe wow and even yeah my boss who's notoriously known as you know very hard working goes is, is, seems to constantly be doing something linked to work mm. he took some time off to make sure that his parents were okay so it's it's re- it just humanizes everyone yeah it definitely humanizes everyone and you know we realize we're all human and just break down what is important to us and work is important and we do it because we're passionate about it um but friends family uh community is equally just as important yeah i mean my parents are on the like extremely vulnerable list kind of critical list and um and even though there's social distance um, and, you know, I can't give them a hug and stuff like that, I we have never as a family been so close. I've got two sisters that are living in different countries. Um, one's actually in Hong Kong and she's gone through so many months of like, OK, I can't move because we're all on lockdown. OK, we can move. So we're going to go back to the UK. Oh, no, we can't because the UK is on lockdown. It's just been like such a crazy time but as a family we've never been closer yeah I can relate to that as well I'm um you know video calling my family a lot more and chatting to them and sometimes my my dad and my mum are notorious for ringing all the time and often <laughs> ring for example if it was a normal working day they'd probably ring my phone right now it's <laughs> we seem to ring at the most inconvenient time <laughs> yeah um, but because I realise it's important now to always pick up and just yeah. chat over the phone rather than just putting it off and keep putting it off. It's not because I don't want to speak to them. It's, I don't really know, it's inconvenient at the time. And actually it's not inconvenient because it's family and family won't be there forever. So you have to appreciate it while it's there. 
Yeah, totally. So in terms of work then, like what what do you see in your future? I mean, without getting too personal, because obviously this is anonymous, um, like where do you want your career to go? Oh, gosh. Uh, people have been asking me this a lot recently, including my boss. Um, <laughs> well, maybe I'm kind of in the same bit of school where I found something that I'm passionate about, but I just don't know the next direction. Hmm. Yeah. I've done a PhD, I've done a few postdocs, and I've loved every minute, and I, I'm loving the research I'm doing at the moment. The contract is coming to an end, so I've, I'm very much looking for what to do next hmm. um, and really just digging deep into what I enjoy um, so it's given me some time to think actually during this whole coronavirus crisis about what I enjoy and I do enjoy research I enjoy outreach uh, I enjoy the field work so I'm gonna look to carrying on what I'm doing at the moment and then I really need to have an honest conversation with myself whether in 10 years I want to be in academia so mm. I'll all go down a more uh, outreach route or an industry route or charity route but at the moment I'll be honest I have no idea like, tomorrow it could be something completely different gosh I must say that you know it, again it's reassuring to hear someone who's so accomplished say you know I don't know I don't know like I, I need to review it and see which direction my career is going to go in because uh, I think you know when you are at school it's almost like you have to map out your entire life at that age and what's reassuring from listening to you is that you can make twists and turns and changes and that's perfectly okay because the goal is always to be doing exactly what you love doing. Yeah and I think a lot of people assume that I have got it sorted and I have a lot of comments like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll get offered something. Um, you know, it's such a hot topic at the moment. Um, the research that you've done, uh, don't worry about it. You'll have a contract offered soon. And um, actually, it's, it's not as easy as that. You still have to search for what you want to do, apply for funding. Um, and I probably was a bit nervous about it a few weeks ago. Um, I have a really good mentor that I spoke with uh, recently and they were like you don't have to know what you want to do and you don't have to rush into a three-year contract why don't you just take a few weeks on a short-term contract to just understand what you want to do um, and build it up from there but don't think that you need to 100% know the future of your career mm. but like anyone really yeah how important has your mentor been to you? Do you have more than one? Well, I I have one through um, uh, an industry I've worked with before. And not that I thought that a mentor would be pink and fluffy. Um, I just didn't really know what they could give me in terms of benefits. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I we had a weekly, sorry, a monthly uh, catch up. And it was so good just to speak to someone that's not in the research field and just ask them advice and just say, is this okay if I do this? Life uh, advice, right? Yeah, it was just life advice. I always assume it had to be research advice. And it was just nice to know someone 10 years further than me in a career, in a similar career that I want to go down, just tell me the highs and lows um, of her career, what she's done, 
and that it's going to be okay and you don't need to know exactly what you want to do and maybe it stems back from school um but it's it's been really good to have that support network mm. how did you choose her uh i didn't they it, she got chosen for me and oh wow because she wasn't in my research field and we do very different research i did think oh i wonder how this is going to work not in a bad way uh, but it's been a real positive so i'd urge anyone uh, in research to uh, find a mentor and I know there's schemes out there which help you find mentors as well but it's it's really helped me just get my ideas my thoughts in order mm, yeah so for any budding uh, young women in STEM that might want to follow in your footsteps like what advice would you give them to getting into STEM I'd always say follow your passions uh, do what you're passionate in uh, because then you remain curious and every day will never be the same. And then in terms of, because science, I think, is also, you know, it's it's not an easy field to get into, whichever aspect of science you're interested in. How do you cope with the not so easy sides of going into STEM? Yeah, um, thinking aloud here there's definitely some tricky parts of STEM uh, you, you work incredibly hard you are constantly potentially in the lab getting data sometimes with very little reward mm. um, just keep digging at it and like we said before just talk with people because those people will be going through exactly the same as you at that moment in time or in a past moment in time and you realise that actually it's just incredibly normal and it's okay to be struggling. Cool. And it sounds like you're pretty happy with what you've chosen um, as a STEM field. Is that right? Yeah, I'm incredibly happy. Uh, I absolutely love what I do. I appreciate that there's ups and downs, but to be able to be in a research field that I'm passionate about and to be able to see changes in the world being made from the research that you and your team have done, uh, I would say that for me, there's no better feeling. Wow, what an amazing note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. That's it from my STEM guest this week. I'm smiling from ear to ear. It just sounds like my guest has really found her passion and she's letting it unravel exactly how it's meant to. Not that she has a plan or a goal, but she's just following her heart. And I must say her honesty on this show has just been so reassuring and comforting thank you so much for listening don't forget to rate and review the show and catch you next week on silence <laughs>